This is Scott Evelyn, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? So my name is Scott Evelyn, Dave, and I am uh, an executive coach and a speaker and leadership educator and an author of now two books, The Next Level, What Insiders Know About Executive Success and Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative. So um, t- two books and, and two podcast episodes. So I forgot to mention, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very nice to be back. Thanks. So I, um, if I may, I, I want to sort of tee up where I envision the book, and then we'll talk a bit about it. But we have this, uh, we have this idea of uh, you know the next level, what uh, what the insiders know, and then there's sort of like the next next level, which is how to know mm-hmm. all of that stuff and not go crazy, right? Yeah. But the the new the new book really starts from um, this this weird assumption that everyone's feeling really overworked and overwhelmed. And I, you know, I thought technology was supposed to make our lives easier, iPhones and laptops and all that sort of stuff. So, so what's going on? What, what's with all of this overworked? <laughs> I think the technology has, make, has made it easier to work all the time. Uh, you know, that, that's one thing the technology has made, one way that it's made life easier. You know, I think for me, kind of the connection between the two books that I've written is once you reach the next level, I think it's increasingly true that you end up overworked and overwhelmed. And I've seen this so much with my clients uh, over the last five or six years in particular. And I I think there are really two two big factors that are driving the sense that so many professionals and managers and executives have that it is just overwhelming and it's like too much work and not enough time to do it. I think one big factor was back in 2008, the financial crisis that we all lived through and you know, that was it all sort of seemed like an economic end of the world experience potentially. And organizations, I think, had to get very quick, very good very quickly at doing more with less and to survive. And they did. And what I'm seeing uh, is that they've continued in that mode, even as the economy begins to recover. They've continued in that mode. If I and one way I can prove this, I guess, anecdotally, is when I speak to a group of leaders. Let's say it's a hundred leaders. And I'll ask a group, you know, by show of hands, how many of you are in the same job you were in a year ago, but the scope today is a lot bigger than it was a year ago? About 70 or 80 hands will go up every time I ask that question. And that's because everybody's in, their job is bigger today than it was a year ago or bigger still than it was two years ago. And so I think it's kind of, a, you know, an outcome of this more with less dynamic that most professionals find themselves working in. The other big factor happened uh, several months before the financial crisis, and it was the introduction of the iPhone, you know, the very first modern smartphone that we take for granted these days. only came out in 2007. Uh, I read recently a description, you know, that computer that you're carrying around in your pocket that's masquerading as a phone, uh, you know, it it enables us to be connected to everything 24-7. And I think what... uh, whatever sense of boundaries people have had in their lives, they've probably lost, or many of them have, and they end up feeling overworked and overwhelmed because of that. I came across a fascinating piece of research in working on the new book from the Center for Creative Leadership from last year, so it's really recent, that a study of smartphone-enabled executive managers and professionals, around 500 people that were in the study, 
and they are connected to their work an average of 72 hours a week uh, if they have a smartphone. And they're only 168 hours in the week to begin with, right? And you're probably spending like eight hours a day or 56 hours a week doing some basics like sleeping and eating and bathing. So that's 56 hours. And, you know, 56 plus 72 only leaves you 40 hours a week for everything else that you either want or need to do in your life. Well, and, and, and so if, I, people, if I may, the irony there too is that even in sleeping, we put the iPhone right next to our, our bed nowadays on a nightstand. So really bathing is the only way, only time <laughs> that we are disconnected from it. It's just a matter of time until they're waterproof. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, of course, there are all kinds of issues with having your phone or your tablet in your bedroom and how that affects your sleep. So, uh, again, that's another contributing factor to feeling uh, overworked and overwhelmed as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and by the way, I, I, my iPhone hates that you're implying that that's the reason for all of my stress. But, but you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And you think we would have... Um, you think we would have seen the writing on the wall, right? Because before 2007 and the iPhone, right, there were still people with Blackberries, and they would refer to them as Crackberries, and we could sort of see mm-hmm. this minority group of executives that were addicted to it. And somehow, when we wrapped it in a really nice Apple design case, suddenly everybody was going, "No, I want that. I want the addiction." Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of re- really interesting research, you know, on the addiction. That, you know, you get a shot of endorphins uh, and dopamine every time it buzzes because it might be something good there. You know, and I've got to go look at that right away. And of course, the you know the impact of that um, in terms of how you show up is pretty severe. One of the things that I think is really a big theme, really, that's tying all of my work over the last 14 years together at this point is the idea that leadership presence requires being present. And and so, you know, most of my work up until now has been focused on leadership presence. You know, the how do you show up as a leader? Well, the thing is, you're not going to be effective at all if you're not actually present, fully present and attentive you know, during conversations, which is kind of why I think mindfulness comes into it. There's, you know, when we hear the word mindfulness, we think, you know, often think of, you know, monks meditating for hours and and so forth, or yoga classes and and whatever else. And that's all good, right? That's fine. Most people aren't going to meditate for several hours a day. But so I, I, what I'm trying to think about is, what does mindfulness really mean in a practical application to the average professional or manager or executive? And to me, it really comes down to two things. Mindfulness equals awareness plus intention. And, you know, I'm aware of what's going on around me. I'm aware of what's going on inside of me in terms of my thought process and kind of my emotional state. And then once I'm aware externally and internally, I can be intentional about what I'm going to do or maybe more importantly, not going to do to, to accomplish whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, there's, um, I you know, I, I remember, so to, to pull the veil behind uh, how books are made or whatever you want to call it, I remember you, I was fortunate enough for you let me sort of in on the idea uh, a long, long time ago. And when you were still running it over and we were still, you were still working on the proposal, et cetera. And I, I kept thinking mindfulness and, and I think, I, I, you know, in my mind, I did exactly what you had said. I kept thinking about monks meditating and sort of the religious component. But what I what I really like about uh, the book, at least, is that I think you break... T- what, what I really was able to grasp and dig into is that you break up 
sort of mindfulness, at least as I read it, into the three different elements, like the mind, but also the importance of the body and, and that, and even in relationships. And you, and you say that all of those things are sort of routines, right? And so it's not the weird, mysterious spirituality of the monk, of the monastic life that creates mindfulness. To some extent, it's the routines. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm all about stuff that if, you know, if you think of an XY graph, with, you, you put uh, easy to do on the vertical axis and likely to make a difference on the horizontal axis. I'm all about stuff that's in the upper right-hand corner of that graph, stuff that's easy to do and likely to make a difference. And that's what I'm trying to do with all of my work, but particularly you know, now with this new book, is is bring the, the really great lessons that we can learn from all of the thousands of years of tradition behind mindfulness and practice behind that and and make it simple for people to apply that stuff throughout the day so that they show up at their best. And, and that's one of the other things that we're presenting in the book is a, is a personal planning model called the Life GPS. And it's literally, you can get it on, get your answers to three important questions down on one page. And that's kind of the takeaway in, in a lot of ways from this book is if I've got it on one page, then I can use that as a reference and kind of a recalibration tool to get myself back on, on course when I go off, as we inevitably do. But the questions really are, how are, how are you when you're really at your best? And that's sort of a self-awareness question. You, know, you think about those peak performance or in-the-zone, in-flow kind of experiences that you've had in your life. What are the words that describe you when you're like that? So that's you at your best. And then to, you just brought it up. What are the routines that you either have in your life or need in your life that make it likely that you show up at your best? And those routines come in four domains. The physical, which I think is kind of the base for everything else. The mental domain, the relational domain, because you know, like, we're all in relationship with others throughout our lives. And then finally, the spiritual domain, you know, like in, in the context of why are you here? You know, like What's your purpose here in this life? And, stay, and routines that help you stay connected with that. And then that leads to the third big question in the life GPS. So if you're showing up at your best more often than not, and those routines are helping you do that, what outcomes are you hoping or expecting to see in the three big arenas of life, your life at home, your life at work, and your life in the community? And so what I try to teach people how to do in person and through my writing is how to use that life GPS to be more present, and more mindful in the way they're showing up as, as leaders and as people. Yeah, and I really love the the life GPS um, concept. I just I love the idea of anything keeping anything you want to make really important glaringly in front of you. And the beauty of the one pager is that it, it does that. But you know, in in reading about it and in thinking about it, I've been meaning to ask you um, this question, and I figured this was the right time. You know, the, so it starts with that idea of when are you at your best, the flow concept, the in the zone concept, and then it gets into the routine, but. I kind of wonder, which one do you think is more often the barrier to doing this? Do you think that people, uh, that most people know their purpose or that most people, or, or most people know when they're at their best or that they still need that element? Or do you think it's they know when they're at their best, but they don't know how to establish the routines that do it? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably the latter. I think when people, my experience, David, is when people have some brain space to think about themselves at their best, they can usually come up with a pretty pretty clear description for themselves that means something to them. The challenge is how do I incorporate the routines that enable me to show up at my best? And there's a couple of things that I think are really important to keep in mind about that. Um, one is the only person who's going to take care of you is you. And so you've got to establish some amount of time in your day 
for simple routines that will help you show up at your best and kind of make them habits. They don't have to be really long. Like one of the, the killer app routine for me in the mental space, as an example, is breathing because breathing is proven scientifically to clear out the chatter and the clutter in your in your brain. Okay, because we you know we have all these thousands and thousands of thoughts in our head every day. How do you sort through all that to really focus in? Breathing can help you do that. Maybe SEALs are trained to do that before they go on a mission. They do four minutes of deep breathing to center themselves. And what they're doing actually is kind of counterbalancing the fight or flight response that we naturally have. And I think a lot of professionals today are in chronic fight or flight because of all the stimulus and input that's coming in. Your body also has a system as part of the autonomic nervous system that is the nickname is the rest and digest response. And it's designed to work as the brakes to the gas pedal of fight or flight. And so breathing, even, even three deep breaths between meetings can help you activate that rest and digest response that'll kind of center you, calm you down, help you tune into, okay, how am I trying to show up in this next conversation? What's me at my best look like in that? The three deep breaths, you know, I'm doing it right now, can kind of get you ready for that and then kind of chill it down a little bit so that you show up more at your best. Yeah, you know, so it's funny, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, normally on recording a podcast, I only ten- pay attention to my breathing when I'm editing it afterwards because I can hear my breathing. But as we're talking, <laughs> you and I both are, are are sort of doing it, and I think that's that's hilarious. And the truth is, after reading the book, uh, if for no nothing else, you know, you said um, 40 hours of sleep out of the 168 hours, right? And really, it should be like 56, right? So uh, well, we're not. I'm, so I'm, so yeah, yeah. my point is, we're, we're not getting enough sleep, and and uh, I actually, you know, I have a hard time shutting my brain off. And since reading the book, I've actually tried breathing for that too. So not not to get myself mm-hmm. focused to go be at my best, but just to turn my mind off, and it works really really well. And you know, you just sort of course correct whenever you veer off and start dreaming daydreaming again. That keeps you sort of up, but it works works really well. Perhaps that's why at the end of anybody who's ever done yoga, at the end of it, you're laying on on your back and you're really just focused on your, your breathing. In fact, actually, anybody who's done yoga for a long time knows it's entirely about breath. It may be about fun poses, mm-hmm. but it's really about breath. Um, and so what I love about it is the, the book takes a lot of those things, a lot of the secrets. I think the beauty of it and what I want to applaud you for is that it takes a lot of these things that we look at as, like you said, the monastic, et cetera, and gives the practical, here's how it works in the office and the everyday. Here's how it works in like the Navy SEALs example in situations that are way more stressful than what you think you're going through. Right. So if it can yeah, work for yeah. them, it can work for you. Totally. None of us are going to go after a bin Laden anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us aren't going to be doing that. Right? Ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you, if you think you're, you're stressed, here are some people who were way more stressed and mindfulness works for them. And so for that reason, the book is, the book is awesome. Overworked and overwhelmed the mindfulness alternative. Uh, you know, it's, it's a funny title too, cause it makes me think, why would I want to be overworked and overwhelmed? But <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't want that. And so I want the alternative. So so well done there as well. I wonder, though, if we could switch a bit from the book, as you know, because this uh-huh. is your second time back, and talk about you and what you've been up to, check in with you. The, the first question being, what are you reading right now? Yeah, what am I reading right now? I'm always reading two or three things at once. And so one of the things I'm reading right now is a book that's been out for a while. It's actually going to be a big movie at the end of the year called Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand, Hillenbrand who wrote uh, Sea Biscuit. And it's the true story of an American hero named Louis Zamperlini, who had this most amazing life as an Olympian uh, prior to World War II, and then was a, a bombardier on a B-24 that was shot down over the Pacific in the Japanese theater. And he was 
on a raft for 45 days and then captured with by the Japanese and held prisoner in just horrifying conditions for a couple of years. And that's a part of the book now where he's back from the war and really struggling with PTSD. And uh, he just actually died recently in real life in, in his 90s. So he went on to have a really full and productive and happy life, but just an amazing story of resilience and just a uh, very humbling story to read because there's so much courage and strength with him and his colleagues in those situations. The book I just finished that was really cool is called The Bohemians. And it's a story of four friends in 1860s San Francisco, one of whom ended up being Mark Twain. <laughs> and uh, and the literary sit, set in San Francisco in the 1860s and why Mark Twain broke out and became Mark Twain and famous for the rest of the eternity and probably why the other three didn't, even though they seem, were seemingly more talented than Twain when they were friends hanging out together in San Francisco. Hmm. No, that's yeah, really those, cool. those are two that I'm yeah, and a lot of business books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but I can tell which ones yeah. capture your attention. That's awesome. That's yeah. that's all, and those yeah. are the ones that require sort of a more deep thinking than uh, than a lot of. The well, it, it, what I like about them is I'm thinking about stuff that I don't normally think about, right? And so that it's just a good. Uh, Good way to get my brain a break. There, there's you paying attention to your mind. Look at that. Jeez. <laughs> How about uh, that? Yeah. So, um, you know, th- so this book is has been a, pr- a project for a long time, and by no means is the project, you know, over. There's a lot of work to be done on the on the back end of, of releasing it. But I kind of wonder, what what's on the horizon for you? What's next for you? What are you looking forward to? What ideas are you playing around with? Yeah, well, you know, I'm just, I, I'll be honest, I don't mean to be overly dramatic, but a friend of mine who knows me pretty well, uh, when we were talking about the book a few months ago, said, Scott, I think this is your life's work, you know, the, the new book and the stuff related to it. And I kind of feel that way, to be honest. I, um, I'll i tell you one of the reasons I wrote the book, and I talk about this in the introduction. Um, back in 2009, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that was like a huge shock to me because I was a runner in really good shape. At least I thought it was. And... So a few months after the diagnosis, I could barely walk around the block. And make that long story, make it short, what has enabled me four years later, you know, or five years later, to travel all over the place doing my business. And I go to yoga every day now and do handstands and headstands and all that stuff. And uh, I'm a registered yoga teacher and you know, just finished my second book and all of that stuff that you would never I would never have imagined, honestly in 2009 and 10 and the depth of this NF stuff, but that any of that was ever going to happen. But what got me going on it was my wife said, why don't you go to a yoga class and see if it'll make you feel better? Cause she'd read about that. And I was really nervous about it. I didn't really want to go, but I went and I said to the teacher, look, I got an MS. I really don't think I should be here. So don't worry about it. We've got other people with that here. And listen, here's the deal. If you come here three days a week, it'll change your body. If you come here more than three days a week, it'll change your life. So I started going more than three days a week and it changed my life. And I have such a a heart for leaders and and all that they do and and have to work with and put up with sometimes and all the stresses on them. And I just want to share what I've learned with them, you know, both from my own personal experience, but also from all the great people I got to talk to doing this new book and all the research that I've been reading. I, I just... Well, it sounds hokey. I just want to help people. <laughs> and and uh, it's, it comes from a very deep personal place at this point uh, because I know it works. I know it works. 
yeah. because it's work, you know, I, 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 at the most personal level, I know it works. And so that's what I'm into. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And you are, you, you're bearing the fruit of that because of an incredibly focused uh, discipline, which has been awesome to, to watch on a personal level. Uh, to, to watch. And so more more than happy to spread the word on the book. And I hope everybody listening will too, um, to figure out how to engage mindfulness to to change their lives. So I think um, I think that's awesome. And I think that's uh, powerful. If you can grab it, I think it's really powerful. So thank you again thank you, so man. much for, for writing it. Um, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for talking to me for like, you know, three years and letting me peer into to your life. Most, a lot of readers don't know. Well, back Scott's, Scott's book yeah. first came, came out before, before mine and I peppered him with so many questions when it came out. Uh, and you've been awesome in that. So you're true to form on just wanting to help people. And so I love that. Thank you for it. And thank you so much for joining us inside the leader lab. You bet, David. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey everybody, it's David from the Leader Lab Podcast. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast episode. And I want to remind you that you can get even more content from us if you connect with us online. We're at Twitter, twitter.com slash LDRLB, Facebook, facebook.com slash LDRLB. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher, or just subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll email you every single time we post a new episode. Thanks so much for being a part of the community. Look forward to giving you even more great content.